Cameron Baggery is from Baggery Economics, a well-known uh, economic advisor and uh, media commentator. Cameron's joined uh, the budget lockup today in the Beehive with us, having poured through the documents over the last four or five hours. What do you take from Budget 2022? Oh, I guess there's a whole lot of sort of takeouts. Where should we start? Should we start? Well, with let's start with inflation. Yeah, yeah, in everyone's talking cost of living. We're all feeling it. Heck, in yeah. Auckland last night, um, I paid $165 of to uh, fill the car with diesel. Just, yeah. if I'm feeling it, there must be a lot of families really yeah. hurting. It's quite telling, the Ipsos issues monitor has now got inflation as the top concern to New Zealand households, and it takes some doing to knock off the old housing market off top perch, but the cost of living has done it, and of course inflation might not have yet have peaked. Yeah, so, in fact, if we look at Treasury's forecast, Treasury's actually saying it looks like inflation might have peaked, but look, they don't have it coming down in a hell of a hurry. Yeah. It takes five years, right right out to 2026, to get inflation back down to 2.2%. Now, the Reserve Bank's got a mandate of 1% to 3%, you know, 2% yeah. on average. And we're talking four years down the track. If you look at where inflation's going to be 12 months out, yeah, in, in the low fives, but, yeah, it's got a five handle in front of it. You, know, yeah. you scroll out a year after that, you're still in the, in the high threes. You know, inflation averages 4.1% over a five-year period. Now, bear in mind, for the last 30 years, or in fact, yeah, since go back to you know, when we first bought an inflation fighting, targeting, we've had inflation's average 2%. Yeah. You know, to, to sort of imagine a scenario here, it's not a scenario, it's, it's the reality, where inflation is going to average 4% for the next sort of five years. You know, the so-called cost of living crisis we're going to talk about, or the, the inflationary thief. Well, the thief, there's going to be a fair bit of thievery continue to go for another couple of years. So the and this sort of the... the uh short-term blip that we were told about inflation. Very clearly now, Treasury's come around to the view that there's a longer-term problem here. Do you think that the sort of rest of the fiscal forecasts are uh, credible or valid when you've got, of course, the costs of inflation right now are really good for the government books because you get the um, boom in tax revenue and, uh, and the like. People are going into high tax brackets. You've got the extra GST income. Do you think, like, looking to next year's budget and the budget after that, that this, how does this high inflation impact those? And do you think that um, has flown through in terms of the forecasts we saw today? Well, let, let, let's sort of sit back and, you know, first question is, is inflation a good thing? And the answer is no. You know, there, there is a reason we've been targeting low inflation yep. and we've seen the economic benefits of that for a very long time. And it's probably been a little bit of a wake-up call in the last sort of... 12 months to realise just how good things have been in that low inflation environment. And people are probably underappreciated because we look at all the other stuff mm. and sort of take the stuff that we've had for granted, i.e. low inflation for a long time, and not until it goes a little bit awry that you realise, hang on, we've got a, a real problem here. If you look at in regard to the, the government books, look, the government does pretty well out of a bit of inflation in the near term because it sort of hydraulics up your tax revenue. Yeah, yeah. And what it also... You know, the government sector does get undermined, but over time by inflation. Yeah, in the near term, you take a bit of a, a near term sort of cost because there's more demands for wages. You know, you've got to escalate, compensate various government ministries, budgets mm. for higher inflation and that sort of stuff. But, but there's a lag, isn't there? Yeah, well, and this is the thing. So th th this is what's gone on within the within the 2022 budget. We've just witnessed a budget that is literally bigger than Ben Hur. Yeah. Now, we, we talk, when I say Ben Hur, you're sort of talking about an African-sized you know, Ben Hur, as in the entire continent of Africa. Yeah, the budget, when we walked in today, we sort of thought we're going to have a, a $6 billion budget, yeah, which over four years, 24-odd billion. Mm. 
Yeah, what they actually did was they took a little bit of money out of the COVID relief package, so we, we'll put that in there as well. And what they did was, uh, in true Vikings fashion, they raided the 2023 and 2024 yeah. budget. Now, part of that is to multi-year fund the likes of health. Yep. So there's not necessarily a negative aspect to that. But yeah, we're now talking a budget that's up around a $9 billion affair. We used to talk about, you know, yeah. sort of, we used to think a $3 billion budget was a big number. Now we're we're talking about $9 billion. Yeah. So if you scroll forward what today's increase in expenditure was over a four-year program, you're talking 35 to $40 billion, depending on what number you actually focus, which is absolutely off the charts in regard to what we've been used to. Yeah. The challenge is that within the fiscal forecast, you know, they've got this sort of assumption that we're going to go from gorging to a diet. So if you look at the 2023 budget, there's an expectation we're going to fund that now for $2.5 billion. Now, now, good luck with that. Yeah, you might as well place a bit of a bet on Italy. Well, it went, it went higher today. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. E even today, we, so the, the, the first thing you notice is, okay, so new spending, we're all expecting $6 billion. Uh, Grant uh, trimmed his belt, what, 1.3% down to $5.9 billion. Um, but hot jacked up what he gets to spend next year in an election year. That's why I ask, is it credible that they spend today and then get to surplus by saying, oh, no, no, we're going we're gonna to pull back over the next full no, few we'll, years. Look, if I have a look at the, what have the fiscal trends been for the last four to five years? Every budget has ended up being a higher spending affair. What we tend to see within the fiscal forecast is this is this what's called the hockey stick. And the hockey stick is premised on the basis that subsequent budgets, we're going to tighten the belt, we're going to go on a diet. Now, now, that is actually mm, possible mm. if you've got the discipline to do it. But if you step back at the moment and think about the economic reality of what we're going to be facing in 12 months, this is the economic reality. It looks like inflation is still going to be 5%. Now, at the same time, we've got $2.5 to play with. It was $4.5 billion. They've taken $2 billion out of that and plugged that into the $6 billion to make that 8 plus another one is 9 yeah, well, they've also uh, you, borrowed from this a 2024 budget. When you jump round years, it's um, it's uh, it, it's hard to follow. But let me put it more simply: Does today's budget make the cost of living, inflationary pressures, better or worse? So, if I have a look at right here and now, in regard to the fiscal impulse, yeah, that, that's just a measure of whether the government's adding to aggregate demand yep. or subtracting from it. Right here and now, the government is very clearing adding to aggregate demand. So they're stimulating the economy. If you look at the forecast, we were going to be over the next three years, based on the numbers that are pencilled in, i.e. really conservative budgets, i.e. $2.5 billion next year, $2.5 billion the year after that, and $3 billion the year after that, then the fiscal stance turns what's called contractionary. Yeah. Yeah, so we start to see expenses of the share of GDP start to come down. So technically... The government is right to say we are going to be, you know, we're adding less to demand. I guess it sits back. You've got to think about are those numbers a 2.5, a 2.5, a $3 billion budget three years out, are they really credible based on what we've seen over the past few years in regard to where spending growth has been gradually ratcheting up to? Yeah. And I think there's a growing case at the moment for, we need to rattle the cage a little bit, on the independent fiscal authority. You know, to actually bring someone in that's going to put in some yeah, not political-based numbers, yeah, something that we think are a little bit more economically credible to give us an idea about where the underlying fiscal position is. Well, in fairness, I mean, that was the role of the, you know, the separate report today we got from Treasury on the um, fiscal and economic update. I certainly agree around election costing and, and pre-election reports and the like. It's something that the Taxpayers' Union uh, has fought. In terms of the other uh, economic indicators, how do they compare? Where is the, at least 
Treasury's view of the lie of the land, where are we now compared to the numbers in the last update in December? Oh, in last December, the forecast had an outperformance spirit about them. You know, yep. Growth was going to be up in excess of 3%, unemployment moving down. We were in a really good sort of zone. Unfortunately, the emergence of inflation has completely turned that yeah. on its head because suddenly we've realised we've had what's called too much of a good thing. So when you've got inflation, and the Treasury acknowledges within their economic and fiscal update that it's actually domestic inflation that's driving it, compounded by the offshore situation. It's not the other way around. Yeah. It's not the offshore situation compounded by domestic. It's, yeah, that, first and foremost, it's yeah. the domestic story compounded by offshore factors. But when you get inflation, yeah, and inflation's a bad thing, unfortunately you need to see some other outcomes on the other side. So what, what a Treasury's forecast got... Growth is expected to average 2% for the next three to four years, which is, which is subpar. Yeah. The unemployment rate is going to go from 3.2 to 4.8. House That's over the long term. And initially, it's forecast to come down even further. We're already at, a, at a, the lowest on, um, on recorded history from when the measure changed in the, in the 80s. It, 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 it's sort of, it's very rosy in the short term, but then it doesn't, they don't quite get to the recession word, do they? No, so if you have a look at the 2000, and I can't remember if it's 23 or 24, or I think it's sort of it's a split year, you know, June year. Mm. Yeah, they got growth getting down to 0.7 percent. Now you, you get down to sort of sub one, you're getting in the margin yeah. error in regard yeah, to whether course. you're actually having a, a technical recession. But this is yeah, the, the economic forecasts are not bad because we're coming off such a really good story. Yeah. But it's a lukewarm, it's a below average sort of story, as we call it, pay the piper. And, of course, when you get into that sort of paying the piper sort of phase, look, anything can happen in regard to what's going to go on because the more persistent that inflation story actually is, the more work the Reserve Bank's got to do in regard to lifting the official cash rate. And, you know, the, the, like, the Reserve Bank's been out there saying we'd like a little bit of help from our primary mate in the form of you know, fiscal policy. Well, I guess the Reserve Bank will be looking at today's projections and seeing what happened to the 2022 budget. And you'd be looking at the 2023-2024 budget and thinking, oh... What are the odds are they're going to be $2.5 billion spending affair? You wouldn't be putting high odds on that, given what you're seeing in today's budget, where there's pressure to spend more. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, actually, I'll push back on that. That was something that you may have uh, seen our polling that we released a couple of days ago, showing that four to one, New Zealanders don't want more spending. They want it um, about the same. A little bit of pushback from our members saying, why didn't you ask if you, they wanted less spending? Um, but of course, we operate in the world of the of the possible, not necessarily the the, the ideal. Yeah, look, it's, it, 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 it's incredibly difficult to cut. Of course, it's spending. But but yeah. if, but if you can contain well, it, you, it you, makes a real big difference. Overall, I mean, if certainly there, well, I would argue that there's a lot of room to reprioritise, and that's what going back. Um, I had one of the guys here put together all the historic fiscal envelopes, the amounts of new spending. And it really makes you realise how uh, tight. Bill English and that cabinet had it, had it. When they were announcing two $300 million packages, they were finding that money from elsewhere. It was quite um, qu quite amazing in comparison to yeah, today. Yeah, I, I guess it would be. Look, it, it's pretty obvious during that period we took the austerity or the finding that money a little bit too far. So we, had, we did end up with, you know, infrastructure deficits, whether that be on the capital or the social side of the ledger. And, and now we've been playing a bit of catch-up. Yeah, so some of the spending increases has been warranted. The, the million-dollar question, and this is where the debate needs to shift, it's mm. not about spending per se. 
It's mm. getting value for money. Are we actually seeing results on the ground that that dollar spent over here is actually giving me a dollar plus worth of value on the other side? It doesn't have to be an economic rate of return. It's got to be a social rate of return. And this is where yeah. I have some real concerns at the moment. We're getting so caught up in the spending narrative. Let's just focus on results. Making yeah. sure X spending is going to give you an outcome on the other side. Yeah, and it's, it's certainly we'll talk off here. I'll, I'll pick that up because, of course, the difficulty is the, the big amounts when you really want to measure the results are much harder to communicate than the sort of the 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 symbolic type spending that you know, in fairness, the taxpayers' union often often chase because that's what you know captures the um, the, uh, the the attention. Yeah, and the, and the numbers now are just literally eye-watering. Mm. Like when I open up the budget today and see, you know, six became 5.9 plus two plus another one, you're yeah, at nine. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, that's and, the, and, yeah, come back to the earlier and, point. And I yeah. thought a, a 26 times four is 24, all of a sudden becomes close to 40 when you multiply I, nine by four. I don't know if it made it to the, I, I don't know if it made it to the final um, version that went out to our 179,000 supporters, but I thought a really good measure that I look at in every budget is what's the percentage of core crown expenditure as a proportion of GDP. And when the uh, Jacinda Ardern became Prime Minister, that was sitting, I think, at 27 and a half, and that's now, right now, north of 35% of the economy is core crown uh, expenditure. So, yep, it's a quality thing, and I think that reasonable minds can differ around what that optimum size is, but I certainly say, given how quickly that has increased, and what I find, I love, um, for you to comment whether you agree. So we had an, um, one of our advisory economists in here yesterday as we were preparing for budget today and made what was quite a simple point that hadn't really occurred to me. And it was that since Ruth Richardson passed the Fiscal Responsibility Act in 94, government surpluses and deficits have been pretty good at tracking the economy. What is extraordinary about budget 2022 is we have an economy that is running red hot, low, um, high inflation, low uh, unemployment, and the COVID expenditure is largely over. I know that there was an announcement today about COVID recovery spending for more um, drama and arts and documentaries and things, which, we, um, which we'll certainly highlight. But th this is the first budget or the first Minister of Finance to deliver a forecast deficit of six billion and change at a time when the economy is is running hot. D does that jump out to you too? Oh, but does that sort of stuff really concern me at the moment, given the magnitude? Like six billion divided by a yeah, $350 billion economy yeah, within spitty distance of zero percent of Well, GDP. But, but, it, but that's not cappy. I mean, that is... That, that is um, that, that is an operating deficit, and so for a budget of what, 100, 110, 111, you're talking sort of four, you're spending 4% more than what you're bringing in, despite the enormous tax revenue. Yeah, but yeah, one, once again, look, did we, let, let's split things down into look, the economic cycle versus structural factors and, and strip out COVID, right? Because there's still some COVID support within the numbers. Yep. Yeah, now, yeah, def yeah, definitely. Look, yep. for the past few years, we, we've obviously been playing a little bit of catch-up, right, in regard to spending from underfunding in different areas. Yeah, so if we start seeing what's called small structural deficits, yeah, does it really worry me? The answer is no, subject to one caveat. 
are we seeing results on the other side of running those structural deficits so I know that that spending that's going out is giving me physical results on the other side. You mean, now, growing, the, you mean growing the economy? No, not just about growing the economy, giving me improved outcomes both socially, yep. you know, education, because you think about education as the grounding of where New Zealand's going to be 30 years down the track. Cool. So that yeah. investment that today is not going to give us an economic payback for a long time, but we know we need to be undertaking it. You know, I like to step away from this... Yeah, small deficits, small surpluses, mm. or structural cyclical. Let's think about the bigger picture here. And the bigger picture is it's, it's getting results, right? Every dollar we spend has got to give us a bit of an outcome on the other side. Mm. And I guess, yeah, the, the danger is that the, the numbers now are just so big. It sort of feels like a billion dollars doesn't matter anymore. Mm. When you sort of look at, you know, like a billion dollars five years ago, pre-COVID, was a real eye-watering number. Yeah. You're now in the blink of a pen, yeah, the, the budget's gone from five point nine to nine billion. And and it's quite flabbergasting. And, just and that was always think. that was always the risk with the, the sort of realisation after COVID that the generation of fiscal responsibility we've we've had, uh, the sort of the bottom had, had, had fallen out. And well, uh, this is where we're we we're morphing into I wouldn't say it's a dangerous stage, but it's a stage where you know it does worry me on a whole lot of levels. You know, we've been used to the past you know, few decades where fiscal responsibility has been embedded, but we've been in this era of what we call the dominance of monetary policy. Every time we've had a bit of an economic problem, the mm. Reserve Bank comes along and sort of mops it up. And we can argue about whether it was the right policy response in regard to printing too much money and low interest rates, and I think yeah. it has been excessive. Where we're now morphing into globally is the era of monetary policy dominance is basically over. Yeah. Right, park that one. Yeah, now we're in this era of the dominance of fiscal policy and government. And you can do a lot of good things there in regard to yeah, the microeconomic arena, investing in early childhood, primary school education. Now, let's have a real decent crack at school truancy. We yeah. know we need to spend a lot more money in the health system. It's not just about spending money, about to execute on the other side. But when you give, get given that responsibility to sort of do more and lift your game, it becomes really dangerous as well. Because what we're now starting to see is that the tentacles of government are starting to spread far and wide. Yeah, and we come, it's almost like it's becoming centrally planned out of Wellington. And, it, and it's Reserve, sucking well, in... Mo the climate change announcement oh, on Monday is exactly that. Yeah, but, but you have lo local authorities, three waters, these sort of things. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. How, how much democracy is going to be left within local authorities and generally community, communities? Mm. Yeah, the, the, there's a big sucking vortex here across New Zealand where everything's getting sucked into decision-making out of Wellington. And, and this is part of this you know, era of government dominance which is rising around the globe and it does worry me in regard to you know, what ability or specific characteristics do governments have that think they can do an awful lot better in regard to decision making than individuals or businesses. Well, I think it's the question of our time. I really don't want to get into three waters. This week's the first week in about six months where I haven't <laughs> had to think done stuff about three waters and next week we've got a, a um, significant announcement on um, what our next steps are on that campaign so let's just park that for, um, uh, for one moment. The, I mean, you make the point about the quality. Isn't that, and I, I know this is a slightly political point, and if you don't want to go too, um, too deep into this, that's fine, but isn't that announcement of spending and the sort of inability to see results, I think of mental health, for example, which was one of the sort of identity, well, it, it was part of Jacinda Ardern's brand, and despite the and because those were the original pre-COVID 
the big numbers were around mental health. Not only have they failed to spend a lot of it, but they've also just totally failed to deliver. Isn't that the Achilles heel of this government in terms of from the opposition's point of view and from the point of view of um, stakeholder or accountability groups like the Taxpayers' Union, isn't that the sort of the focus over the next 12 months? Yeah, it is. Look, Hector, the, the government has done some things really well, i.e. the response to COVID. Their Achilles heel, and it's coming through time and time again, is the execution. Show mm. us value for money, mm. right? We saw it with the Kiwi Build Fast, which is a dog with fleas. It should have just been put down. Mental health is another one. Two years ago, the Ministry of Education came out and said declining school truance attendance is now yeah. looking like a systemic trend. Yeah. Now, two years on, we get the report that comes out out of the select committee. What does it say? We need a strategy. After two years, the first recommendation is we need a strategy. Second recommendation, school attendance needs to go up. I read the first two lines and thought that that's what we've learnt in the past two years. Yeah. So the, it's not just you know, execution, it's speed to market. Yeah. And, and where we are at the moment, look, policy needs to pivot away from what's called you know, stimulating demand. I can't believe people are still talking about the COVID recovery. We're so beyond you know, an economic recovery here. We've knocked the ball out of the bar. Yeah. We've got an overheating yeah. economy. Yeah. Now it's about managing the endurability of the cycle. And that means you've got to pivot from what's called macroeconomics to microeconomics. It's all the small things that you can do. And in today's budget, to be fair, we, we saw some of those small things, right? The, you know, the grocery uh, sector is going to be looked at. Probably not enough in regard to yeah, what I think could isn't take Isn't that the political shield they use? I mean, so... First things first, I agree agree with what the government's going to pass tonight and um, whacking the supermarkets probably works well politically. But that the issue around the supermarkets, according to the, in the Commerce Commission site this, as we, um, as we pointed out, is around the land use restrictions, the RMA. This does nothing to fix that or tackle what I'd call the harder public policy questions uh, that Labor's failed to deliver on. Well, actually, what, what the Commerce Commission came out with was pretty loud and clear. The problem here is market structure. Uh, what solutions did they put on the table? Nothing to do with the market structure in their final report. Yeah. It's almost like I, it's, I, it's, in the, it's in the too hard basket. I'm more curious on this. I, I just think that all we need is um, Aldi uh, or Lidl to come, come into the New Zealand market and, um, and, and problem solve. And I'm uh, informed by uh, um, friends at the initiative that the RMA is the main the main driver. Oh, it, 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 it is a bottleneck, but yeah, the, the the problem is broader market structure mm. in regard to what we, we've made some classic mistakes over a number of years mm. in regard to letting the industry get to the state that it was in regard to yeah, some players were able to exert yeah, dominance mm. and yeah, extract excessive pro profits and people sort of, there's different numbers floating around in regard, in regard to what they sort of were, but yeah, I think we can all agree that we don't have, you know, a long, we're a long way away from perfect competition or even quasi, you know, competition here in New Zealand when you've got two major players. Mm -hmm. you know, so if I was the building industry, I'd be nervously looking over, all, over my shoulder in the next sort of six to 12 months because they've got a bullseye on their backside as well. So we've got two more questions and then we'll, um, we'll, we'll wrap it up. I, re I really appreciate your time. The first is just any comment on what was buried quite far down the ministerial press releases today, and that is this $100 million uh, uh, ECME fund that Stuart Nash announced, uh, whereby businesses that are unable to get uh, debt funding from banks will be referred by the banks to a government uh, organisation to 
invest equity, take directors' um, uh, seats around the table. And I, I cannot believe this from Stuart Nash, who I've always considered one of the more um, uh, uh, centrist members of, of that cabinet, saying that it, selling it as a benefit that um, the fund won't be as aggressive to seek um, profits or exit dates. Uh, it seems like Louis, uh, Louis had a great line that it's effectively a government bank for the losers that are kicked out of Dragon's Den. Um, I'm interested in your, and you probably got a more positive take than that, but um, yeah, look, it's, 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 I've got another business called Chaperon, helping businesses navigate banking. And one of the reasons I've set up that business is that there are some deep-rooted structural problems here in regard to what's going on. And a lot of it reflects you know, the fact that you know, the risk weights of the Reserve Bank use yep. incentivise home lending over business lending. Yep. If you look at what's going on across banks, yeah, banks have been cutting out a lot of what's called mid-level staff yeah. that actually had the credit skills to understand your business and approve a business loan. Yep. Yeah, what we've seen since the Reserve Bank bought into the you know, need for banks to hold more capital is that well, banks have just been lending more money versus housing unless in the business sector. Why? Because they get capital relief against a home loan as opposed to a, a business loan. Uh, the OECD yeah. Economic Report in Australia had some really good comments on funding for SMEs. In fact, they had something like 10 pages. And, and I kind of hope they might have rolled out a blueprint for that in New Zealand as well because we've got exactly the same problems. Yeah, look at, look, the 100 billion, yeah, of sort of seed funding capital, whatever it is, if you ever look at total business lending across New Zealand, it's $120 billion. It's a hundred million, but I guess yeah. the defence mechanism of that is that you're probably giving a bunch of bureaucrats a little bit of money to play around with, and maybe you can't do too much damage with that. Well, it sounds like um, provincial growth fund on um, uh, combined with a, a risky government bank. You know, from a taxpayer's perspective, that's um, that's pretty scary. I am going to. Um, I'll, I'll just. Oh I'll, yeah, yeah. Yeah, give you an anecdote, right? When the the, the triple CFA. It was all the big hoopla mm. about we need an inquiry into this. And, and I talked to a couple of people at MB, uh, and they've got a pretty big small business team there. I think it's about 60 people with that and that. And within their team, they were looking at you know, the triple CFA, but they'd also be looking at you know, access to credit. And it's, it's a big issue for, cool. for well, SMEs. Well, now, capital, um, capital starvation, or the lack of ability of capital, is the... It has been one of the economic challenges of my life, well, throughout I, my life. I, I asked them, is there anybody within your team that's worked in a private sector lending institution? Please come back to me. And they came back and said, oh, no, we don't have anyone, but we've got a lot of really good policy people. <laughs> and I just said, oh, here we go. See, this is why I'm worried. <laughs> you're, you're, you're illustrating the point well. I want to grab, I'm grab that um, OECD report because I'm not I'm really interested in that. It's, I mean, securities um, regulation or... Um, is is something of a pet, pet bugbear for me, because Key, of course, promised that well, suggested that we'd turn into a um, Singapore of the South <laughs> Pacific, and um, then gave Craig Foss the um, ministerial portfolio to, to sort it out, and precisely nothing happened, and our securities law is backwards from where it was um, was ten years ago. My last question uh, is if you had have had the drafters pen today for budget 2022, what would have you done differently? What would have a Cameron Baggery budget looked like in terms of covering the things we've talked about, cost of living, inflation, uh, and building the economic base for uh, uh, well-being and a strong both social and economic uh, recovery? I guess a, 
a few things, a lot, a lot more accountability in regard to where each dollar is actually being spent. Yeah, we've yep. got to have mechanisms in place to make sure that we're measuring progress. If we're not getting progress, kill it. Right, do you, and do you think the wellbeing budget framework that was really talked up five years ago has achieved that? Because that's what it was supposed no, I, I, to be I about. think there's just an awful lot of money that's being spent out there time and time again. And what, yeah. what we've seen within budget, and look, budgets are good things on some levels, but a lot of budget funding is what we call keep the lights on funding. Yeah. Just, just to keep yeah. that. And we package it up as a good sort of fancy deal. They but put a actually, name on it, a brand, but, but do a logo. Funny, right? What else? Oh, I look, you, you've got to pivot from the macro to the micro. Right, so let's get away from the budget being the big banning affair of the year. Let's sort of tone it down and have a lot more focus on everything we're doing from week to week. Yeah, so get, do you, get do you mean like the way the Brits do it and have an, have, have an autumn and a winter statement? And no, no, you don't even need it. But it's, we need to up the ante on doing the little things right and tone down the importance of the big things. Don't make the budget such the big fanfare mm. that it's suddenly turned into. Yeah, because yeah, well, politicians are politicians, right? Yeah. You, you get you, you seek sort of gratuitous war because you're out there spending money. Everybody's got mm. their sort of piece of the pie, right? The successor, otherwise, of a country or a company is all the small things that you do, yeah. right? Yeah, the macroeconomic headwinds or tailwinds can take care of themselves if you've got fundamentally a good business, you run in a good household, you're running good government practices in regard to doing all those little things well. The final thing that I'd go help bent on is education. Yeah, I if think, I have a look I think at the same board member of the Taxpayers Union that's been chewing my ear on oh, this issue is chewing your ear. If, if you have a look at what's the yeah, most important indicator of yeah. where New Zealand is going to be 30 years down the track? We talk about climate change. Yeah. Right? We know we've got problems there we, we, need to, we need to address. If you look at school attendance, school achievement, it's a horror story in regard to where New Zealand could be 30 years down the track. Yeah. We, we, where's the big call to you, action you can't in be education? A, you can't be a wealthy nation if a quarter of your kids can't read. Yeah, well, the stats are. And you can't learn to read if you're not at school. Yeah, I'm on the board of Life Education New Zealand. I'm working to tell you some stories in regard to some of the stuff that, that we see as well. But yeah, that's the, that, that's the real long game here. Mm. We tend to be quite mm. selective about what long game sort of things we're prepared to battle, whereas some things, i.e. education, just seems to be in that too hard basket. Yeah. Um, I started the conversation, I, I, I was thinking that um, I was going to make a, some sort of play that you should be naturally appointed to replace the current Reserve Bank Governor, who I know is up, um, up for grabs. But having heard that, I think I'm going to push instead for State Services <laughs> Commissioner or um, Auditor General. State Services. Well, important in terms of those incremental improvements of, of, of making this, uh, the uh, state more efficient and more effective in terms of better outcomes. Appreciate we push for time. I really appreciate you coming to visit this afternoon. Cameron, thanks for joining Taxpayer Time. Thanks for having me.